Amen. Amen. Psalm 18 says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid, and the sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. And Father, we thank you that we do have a rock upon which we stand. We stand upon the truth. We stand upon the truth of your word. We thank you that you are our strength. You've delivered us. You're our shield. You're our high tower. All these wonderful qualities that you embody, you avail to us every single moment, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you that even in our distress, in the difficult times, even some this morning perhaps struggling in some way, uh, Lord, you hear your, their cries. You hear our cries. And we thank you, Father, for your gracious heart to minister to us and to minister to our needs. So we bring our hearts to you now. Pray that you would teach us and instruct us in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, family. Sweet blessing to worship Jesus together, isn't it? Amen. Family, if you'd open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're continuing on uh, it, kind of slowly, but I think there's important words in here that God has given us. And today we're going to be looking at the same verses we looked at last week, and it's part two of a message entitled, Be Careful Who You Listen To. And this is verses 29 through 31. And I think it's really important. I mean, the Bible spends or gives us many, many warnings against false teachers and false teaching. And it's for good reason. Number one, there's a lot of it out there. And number two, there's a lot of people that are very, very quick and ready to accept something that isn't true because it tickles their flesh and tickles their ears rather than to immerse completely and trust in God's holy word. And let's face it, lies spread quickly, don't they? And based on what I know as experience, lies tend to spread quicker than truth. They're more quickly embraced. And they also have a ripple effect on those around them because, you see, if we begin to believe a lie, we, we, we do it for selfish reasons, and number two, there's something else that happens too. There's an effect and it spreads out because people are very willing to believe a lie rather than the truth. So we must focus in on the truth of God's word. In the warnings that, that Paul gives us in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to also be in uh, back in uh, 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy again, talking about truth. And we're going to be talking about false teachers. So... Let's look at verses 29 through 31 once again. And Paul, if you remember, he's preaching to the Ephesian elders. I mean, Paul has been there three years in the city of Ephesus, and it's time for him to depart. He knows that his departure is at hand, and he gathers the elders of the church together to give them some final words, some final instruction, so that the handoff of responsibility in the church would be just as God would have it to be. And along with that, he provides instruction, and he also provides warnings. So here's what he said 
For I know this, that after my departing shall many grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them or themselves. He said, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. You see, that was Paul's heart. He was very, very concerned that there would be those. In fact, he didn't say they might come in. He said, they shall enter in among you and not sparing the flock. In other words, they mean to do harm to the flock without love, without concern, and without care for God's people, God's sheep. Rather, a greater concern for themselves. So he said, we need to be careful. They're going to come in, and they'll draw disciples after themselves too. You know, we don't want to make disciples of men, do we? What, what a horrible thing that would be. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So, Again, they shall enter in among you as wolves. Wolves uh, probably disguised as sheep. You know, we've seen that here in our fellowship over the years. And at first, they sound, they, they sound like sheep, they smell like sheep, they look like sheep, but their teeth are sharp. And sheep don't have teeth, by the way, one row only. So take heed. And here's why. Take heed to truth. Take heed to sound doctrine because the doctrine that you embrace determines your behavior. The doctrine that you embrace determines how you look at God's word, how you interpret God's word. And we're not to spin it. We're not to somehow qualify it based on our lives. We are to totally embrace it, believe it, Live it and share it without compromise. Now, when Paul shared this sermon, it's very, very likely that Timothy, young Timothy, young Pastor Timothy was in attendance here in Miletus and he heard Paul's warning. And he would later warn Timothy similarly in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5, if you would turn there. 1 Timothy 6. And in this chapter, Paul had gone through and shared several things with Timothy, and he said, if any man teach otherwise and consent or agree not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we have to remember. They're they're Jesus' words, and they're perfect and without flaw and without fail. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine, which is according to godliness, those that teach otherwise, he's saying they're proud, knowing nothing. He's pretty, pretty straightforward here, isn't he? He said, they know nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And he says, from such, withdraw yourselves. Flee. Run, do whatever you have to do to get away from it. Again, Timothy, a young pastor, and and Paul knew, because Paul's a seasoned veteran in a ministry, he knew that Timothy would be faced with many, many challenges. There would be false teachers that rise up against him. Last week, as we began this, part one of this, 
We looked at the first of four identifying characteristics of false teachers, and it's important we understand these characteristics so that we can identify them. We spoke of doctrine, more specifically, the need for good doctrine, but there's a lot of bad doctrine, poor biblical instruction, and I believe we all came to the agreement that we can't have that because Jesus said this in John 8, 32. He said, and you shall know the what? The truth. And the truth shall make you free. And Jesus declared himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So if, if doctrine doesn't center on the person and character of Jesus Christ, it's bad. And as we learned last week, Jesus always points us and directs us to godliness. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if someone doesn't point you to Jesus Christ and growth in godliness, 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, from such, turn away. Turn away. And it may not be that easy for some might say, and I've heard this, well, you know, he has been my pastor for many years. I've been attending to this church for a long time. And I feel a sense of loyalty to this particular body and to that pastor of that church. Well, how about this? How about loyalty to Jesus Christ? that purchased the church with his own shed blood. This is most important. And loyalty to the word of God, the infallible truth of the word of God, we must be loyal to the truth. Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, but speak thou the things which become or are proper for sound or healthy, uncompromised and uncorrupted doctrine. This is what we have to stand for. And we know that as we stand for that, that which is uncorrupted and pure and holy and true, as Jesus describes and declares in his word, and every word that he speaks is pure, the word of God is pure and holy, and as you stand upon those truths and upon that purity, guess what? You're going to meet opposition as you take those stands. Here's why. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure they won't put up with sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Look, I like a good story as well as anybody, but not as a basis of what we teach. Certainly they can enhance the scriptures. But I'll tell you, I've been to churches where that's all I've heard, story after story after story. And you know what? It breaks my heart because people are sitting in the churches being fed nothing that will change their lives. And I, I, I share this with you that we need to, to understand and hear the gospel because the gospel, according to what God tells us the gospel is, it's life-saving. It's life-saving. Eternal salvation can only be administered through the Holy Spirit, through God's Word. So last week we talked about false teachers who promote gain by wrong doctrine. The second point, false teachers promote gain by wrong motives. Look with me at verse 4. 
like 1 Timothy chapter 6, the first three words, he is proud. He is proud. Pride from the pulpit and conceit behind the pulpit. And then, listen, we all deal with pride, don't we? I, I think we do. I do. But I surely don't want this to be the reason that I stand here speaking. It's because it's not about me. And of course, the enemy will get in and say, yeah, sure, it's about you, but it's not about me. It's about bringing glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this is not an exposition of knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, the scriptures say. Mike shared this yesterday. But what edifies, what builds up? It's love. So even though sometimes we, we have to share the hard truth, but it must be delivered in love, right? Because Jesus delivers it in love. But there's some that claim knowledge so inflated with pride they're blind to the truth. Pride themselves in being in the know or know-it-alls. And Paul says he knows nothing. Today could be disguised as, you know, sharing political correctness. I mean, we live in a politically driven society, don't we? I'd rather stick to biblical correctness. This is what we need to hear here. Because there's enough of the other stuff outside this building. Some will say there's no place for absolutes. Well, and no standard by which to judge. There better be absolutes. Because God even framed the earth on absolutes. I believe in gravity, don't you? I mean, that's an absolute truth. It's not going to go away. But the Word of God is no less important than knowing the truths of physics and science and all those things. In fact, it's more important. Well, apparently, Paul's referring to those that were he called doting or obsessed with controversial questions. And he, 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 takes, he spends time in great effort to expound on various words, actually, that bring confusion to people. Did you ever get into a discussion with someone about the Scriptures? And it's like, you are confusing me. Confusion isn't of the Lord. I think what we share and what we need to hear is clear. Some points are a little bit more difficult to understand than others, but you know what? The Holy Spirit's a great teacher. So we can't have a, a mixed message. We can't have a, a tainted gospel. It must be the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A mix of man's opinion sprinkled with a little bit of religion makes a palatable but very deadly concoction, doesn't it? A single drop of cyanide and a gallon of water will kill you. Well, what's the motive that Paul's referring to here? Maybe to impress people in order to draw a following or to thrive on being upfront putting themselves on display for all to see. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not comfortable standing up front. I'm really not. But I know God has called me to do it. So this is, this is what I do. 
And someone asked me not too long ago, do you ever get nervous? And I said, well, yeah, every week. But it's not the kind of nervousness that when I first started, I was shaking. But it's more of a, God, I want to share things that are pleasing to you. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to encourage folks through your word and let people know that they're loved. That's the reverence that I have to have because this, this isn't about me. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ and his beautiful, wonderful people. And we all need the truth. You know, Paul warned in verse 30 of Acts 20, drawing disciples after themselves. I, I read it, I go, yikes. Drawing disciples after ourselves, aren't we to make disciples following Jesus Christ? That's what it's about. He said, there will be those that try to get people to attach themselves to themselves. Listen, we need to be closely related to and attached to Jesus Christ, don't we? Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Paul said, follow me as, only as I follow Christ. You see, godly teaching always exalts the name of Jesus. And when we exalt the name of Jesus, there's something that takes place. Knowing that he is absolute, absolutely God, he's absolutely perfect, he's absolutely superior, divine in every aspect of, of his being. So when we exalt him and exalt his name, it brings us to a sense of humility, like, who am I? And the psalmist said, who is man? That God would even consider us, yet he does, doesn't he, family? He humbles our pride. And godly teaching says it's all glory to God, and we must mean that. We have to mean that. And godly teaching ought to do three things. It ought to humble the sinner to repentance, brokenness for sin, and point to and exalt our Savior and promote godliness and allow God's Spirit to work the work of salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You see, false teaching, it starts with man, it ends with man, and it builds up the man. And the reason that it often thrives is because of our sin. We're, we're prone to exalt ourselves above God. That, that's the sin nature, isn't it? And we want to receive any teaching that makes us feel good about ourselves. And as I shared, false teaching will always have a, a ready listener. But you see... As we share God's word, as the scriptures do, it confronts sin, doesn't it? Head on. And therefore, for some, it's not popular. Some may think, well, I don't, I don't want to be stripped of my self-dependence or my independence that have to depend on a God I can't even see. We don't want to admit we're wretched and destitute, 
oftentimes in society, we're told to, to build up our sense of pride. You hear it everywhere. You got a pride problem. You're not proud of yourself. Well, you know, that's one of the seven deadly sins. Lucifer fell from God's favor when he said this, as recorded in Isaiah 14. He said, I will ascend into heaven. You know, he, he was the heavenly worship leader, an archangel. Pray for our worship team. Under constant attack, those that, of you that are in the ministry, you know what I'm talking about. It happens every single week. There's attack, but you know, greater is he that's in you and us than he that is in this world. And God has given us a full armor of God. He said, raise that shield of faith against the fiery darts of the enemy. And this is what we must do. Anyhow, this heavenly worship leader, he said this. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then he said, I will be like the most high. And God says, uh-uh, not going to happen. You'll be brought down to hell. But you see, that's the inheritance we've received. We all have a tendency, as hard it is to admit, we have a tendency to exalt ourselves, don't we? I think we've inherited the, the me-first mentality. You know, when you look at a family picture, who's the first one you look to? <laughs> it's the me first mentality. <laughs> but you know, each of us must get over ourselves and admit that we're wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And any teacher that tells you otherwise, don't even consider. Don't even consider, Paul said, from such, turn away. You see, biblical teaching starts with, centers in, and finishes with the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In my speech... And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And I said, why not? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where it needs to lie. And the word ought to be very clear. We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not of ourselves our salvation flows right from the gracious heart of our God and is in spite of us. We need to get this, family. We need to get it loud and clear. There's so many false religions in the world that so, so heavily depend on self, heavily depend on works. My goodness. I mean, oh, my goodness. I don't have any goodness. There's no one good, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one, but Jesus Christ. And, and family, I need Jesus. I can't survive without him. I'll never make it to heaven without him. I can't work my way up, sideways, down. I can't work anything. It all has to be about Jesus Christ. And when we truly come to the grips, to grips with the cross of Christ, we will bow our hearts down low 
in humility and brokenness, seeking forgiveness and healing, which brings about salvation. You know, when you think of some of the old hymns, and I'm so grateful that we sing some of those here, some of the greatest theology is spoken of in them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The older I get, the more I realize, yeah, I'm a real wretch. God shows me where I fall short, and I think he shows me more because I'm more apt to listen now. I don't listen all the time, right, honey? No. <laughs> but I want to. Rock of Ages. The hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Two great hymns. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. For unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So, so far we've learned that false teachers promote gain through false doctrine, through wrong motives. Now third, false teachers promote gain through wrong methods. So out of wrong doctrine or content out flows wrong motives and flows the third wrong methods. Wrong methods. Well, what's this mean? Well, verse 4 told us. He is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh evil, or strife, and envy, railings, and evil surmisings. He loves to stir up controversy. And there's a difference between stirring up controversy and being a controversial, controversial person. You can be controversial for all kinds of reasons. If you believe in sexual purity, you'll be more than likely to be a controversial person in the lunchroom at work or in your college dorm, and that's good. If you're concerned to uphold the Bible as the truth of the Word of God and embrace salvation through Christ and Christ alone, you will be controversial because there's many people that will argue against you. If you embrace the reality and, and absolutes of biblical morality, you're going to be a controversial person in that way. And that's good because you're standing on truth. If you embrace marriage, as, as God said, between one man and one woman, that's controversial these days, isn't it? But it's a good controversy because you are standing on the word of God. That's what Paul's speaking of. But there's others that will have an unhealthy desire for controversy. Those that want to argue, those that want to pick a fight because of their self-perception as experts or intellects, or even a desire to make a person uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 tells us this, that that kind of knowledge puffs up. It's designed to inflate egos rather than to exalt God. Have you ever run across a person like that? Even a Christian that, that wants to argue or pick a fight over doctrine, and when they do, they're attempting to establish their own agenda 
always looking for a twist or looking for word battles. But what's the fruit? Envy, Paul said, or jealousy. Some will be jealous of this person's mastery of the words or superior knowledge. For others, it will stir up contention with those that don't agree with his doting words or, or some self-proclaimed mastery. They may love to debate the scriptures rather than lovingly instruct in them and teach the word. And certain individuals are never happy unless they're stirring up some kind of strife. The fourth characteristic of false teachers is they are corrupt. They may be acquainted with truth but never possessed it. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never impacted their life. And that's a sad thing because there's many people with a lot of knowledge up here, right? There's people that have memorized the entire Bible, and there's where it sits. It never filters its way down here that incorporates or it causes a change in the human heart. It can't stay up here. Why? Because knowledge does what? It puffs up. Look at all I know. Jesus spoke of those that spoke the words but never walked the way of truth. He said this in Matthew 23, 27. He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. They were the experts in the law. And he called them hypocrites. For you are like unto white, whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and are of all uncleanness. Beautifully white on the outside. Looking great, looking all polished up, yet full of dead men's bones. What does it speak of? It speaks of rottenness and corruption. They can stir up emotion, yet there's no depth to what they're sharing. So full of themselves that they've no place for truth. Some have ministries that are misguided for desire or become misguided for desire, financial gain. Notice that Paul says in verse 5, supposing that gain is godliness. My Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Titus 1, verse 11, whose, mouth, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for the filthy lucre's sake, for the, for the sake of money. Selling you the wrong stuff, being driven by the desire to make money from it. Where did this gospel that won't speak of the atoning death of Jesus come from? Or the feel-good nonsense come from? Where did it come from that refuses to speak of our destitution before a holy God and the need that we have to be broken because of sin and de in desperate need of a Savior who died a brutal and ugly death? How can there be a gospel that doesn't include the agony and suffering of the Son of God that demonstrates the seriousness of sin? What kind of gospel would that be? Two words, it's not. You see, unfortunately, religion can be a way of getting rich for some. So make a show of godliness, and the better the show, the greater the fee. And their religion becomes a career rather than a calling. And the objective is to gain, to gain riches at the expense of souls. God forbid. Paul said to Titus, they destroy whole houses. 
And that's what he's talking about, taking their money and robbing their souls. You see, family, the church is not a forum for men to put on display or to be exalted. God forbid, Jesus Christ must be exalted. Now, John 3.30, John the Baptist said this, that, that he, Jesus, must increase. He says must, not should. And then he said, but I must decrease. It has to be about Jesus. So will we preach the word of God or will we peddle the word of God? Is it for gain or is it because we were called by God to share his truth? And Paul, in describing these false teachers, he said they're driven by desire to make financial gain by sharing the gospel or peddling the gospel. And there's some that sadly charge enormous amounts of money to go and speak. You know, I can see covering expenses. I get that. But charging huge sums of money just to speak. You know, God, God's word isn't for sale. He gave it to us freely. Matthew 10.8 says, freely you have received, now freely gived. give. So sadly, there are false teachers, wrong motives, wrong methods. And you see, when we stop talking about Jesus, what's left to talk about? Talk about ourselves. We talk about ourselves. There's nothing left if we don't talk about Jesus. And ministry morphs into just another social gathering rather than an opportunity to gather together in the name of Jesus and to meet with God himself. And we can't ever resort to novelty. But we need to keep our minds and our hearts and souls on the reason why we're here and the reason that we're even alive and that it's all because of Jesus Christ. The gospel must at all costs remain pure. It must. There is no substitute for it. For if there is a substitute, it's weak, it's powerless, and there's no salvation. It must be remaining pure. And if it's not, what's the instruction that we're given from verse 5? From such, withdraw thyself. I've sat through church services where the gospel was never shared. Where Bibles are never opened up. Where the name of Jesus was barely uttered. God forbid. Loyalty to the gospel and the God of the gospel, it cannot be minimized and it cannot be corrupted. And if we're unwilling to uphold the truth in the church, then by God's mercy, God shut the doors. Because we're just playing. So I want to encourage each of you, as the scriptures tell us, to grow in godliness, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be those that, that seek the truth. And we find it in the pages of this wonderful, lovely, lovely book that God has given us, this life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we grow in godliness by, by following after sound doctrine, by opening up our Bibles and reading them and asking the Spirit of God, God, speak to me through your word. Speak to me. Teach me. 
And in those passages that you don't understand, ask God to show you and teach you. And if you still don't get it at that point, and I've done this many times, I put a question mark next to it. God's not revealing it to me now. And then the next time I go through, it's like, why do I have a question mark there? And God has taught me. He's a great teacher. Spend time in prayer. You know, we have prayer meetings here. You can pray in your home, in your prayer closet. You can pray throughout the day. What a wonderful gift as God has given us. He, he doesn't say, well, you know, you're a little late this time calling me for prayer. No. No, he's always there. His ear is always inclined. And he's, God is a ready listener. Isn't that wonderful? He'll never say, hold, hold off. I'm busy taking care of the universe here. You can wait in line. No, that, that's not what God does. He listens. He hears you. He takes great delight in hearing from you. And study the word of God. Exalt the name of Jesus in your life, in your conversation. And sometimes I know it's uncomfortable, but make that Holy Spirit-driven effort to do so. And there will be those that are you know, weak in their, in their walk. And we all fall into this pattern of, at times. We feel weak sometimes, and other times we feel great and strong. But we have every means at our disposal to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have every means. We live in the United States of America. And you may not agree with what's all taking place in this country, but you know what? We have ready access to Bibles, don't we? We have ready access to Bibles on our phones, concordances, commentaries, you name it, it's there. You turn on the radio, and you can listen to Bible studies. You can go on YouTube and watch Bible studies there. We have... Everything available to us. So if our walk is weak, don't blame the enemy. We have no excuse before God. No excuse will stand before him. You can't blame anybody else, your upbringing, your parents, none of that. You can't blame your church. You can't blame God's people. You can't say, well, you know, I was, I was hurt in church once. So I'm going to go away. I'm going to walk away from God. And I know this has happened. No, you're here. I'm not talking about you. But I know it has happened to people. And, and it's really sad when people get injured somehow in, in the church. And it's happened here. You know, I have hurt people within the body of Christ, not intentionally, but sometimes I just say dumb things or respond in a way that's not of the Lord. And people get hurt and upset, and sadly, we never see them again. Or maybe they say, I just don't want to go to church anymore. But the Scriptures tell us we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yet, it happens. I just want to encourage you in all these things. Join together with the body. We need each other. We can learn of prayer needs one to another, can't we? You know, it's hard to, to pray for a person you don't know or can't understand what they're going through, although God knows, I get that. 
But there's a certain level of relationship that's so important within the body of Christ. Because you know, we're, we're told to build one another up and, and encourage one another in the faith. And I don't know how to do that apart from this. The text message is nice, but it's not face-to-face. It's so important. Can we make an, a commitment today to walk with Jesus Christ? No matter what opposition that you face, no matter what barriers might stand in the way, and really any barriers that stand in the way, it's all self-imposed, isn't it? Because if we really purpose in our heart to do what God invites us to do, to pray without ceasing, to study sound doctrine, to break bread together, and then to enjoy fellowship with one another. The only ones that keep us from doing that is ourselves. And those are important ingredients to our Christian walk. We need each other. We need this time. We need Jesus above all things. First and foremost, we need Jesus. And if there's anyone either here this morning or perhaps listening later online and you haven't yet come to Christ and received him into your heart and, and received the, the wonderful gift that he is waiting to give you, the forgiveness of sin and an eternity with him in heaven without cost to you, but by a price that only heaven could pay. And that is the life of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you haven't made that decision for Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so because it is the best decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And if I didn't go through that myself, I wouldn't, wouldn't believe it. I didn't believe it for the longest time. And finally, one day, God stirred my heart and people were praying for me and sharing the word of God with me. And God God. God made his way to open up my heart. And I can say, you know, I have never lived a single millisecond of regret. Life in Christ is wonderful. And life in Christ gives me strength. Life in Christ gives me hope. Life in Christ gives me promise. Life in Christ gives me a way to, to know that this, this world is not my home. It's temporary. My residency, my citizenship is in heaven and God has me here for a purpose, as he has you for, here for a purpose too. That is to encourage others in that which you know. So if you haven't yet come to Christ, would you, would you pray with me, please? Just bow our heads and pray. And maybe there's somebody in your heart that you don't know knows the Lord. Maybe they don't know the Lord, and you're thinking about that person right now. Well, maybe as I'm praying, you should be praying for them too that they too would bow their knee before Jesus and confess him as Lord. So Father, I come to you today very personally. Lord, this is between me and you. And I, I'm gonna share with you now, Lord, I, you know I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm thankful that you came to save me, to save a wretch like me. I know my sin has separated me from you. But Lord, I don't want to be separated for another second. So I'm asking you to please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from it all. 
I believe that when you died on the cross, you died for me and as payment for my sin debt. And I believe that when your blood was shed, Lord, you poured it out, that it might be forgiven. And I'm going to say thank you right now. I ask you to forgive me, and you have done that. Continue this work that you just began in my life and help me to tell others about the goodness of my Savior, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was died, who died and was buried and raised from the dead, just as the Scriptures have said. Help me to bring the gospel to others that has saved me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.